Great Gildersleeve. Lux <laughs> yeah. presents Hollywood. Now cut that out! <laughs> when the blue of the night meets the gold of the day, Welcoming you to the world premiere of Philco Radio Time, produced and transcribed in Hollywood with John Scott Trotter, his orchestra and chorus, the charioteers, Lena Romai, Skitch Henderson, and starring Bing Crosby. Well, Bing, here we are on a brand new program with Philco. What kind of show are we going to have? Well, I figure on something effervescent, charming, gay, carefree, bright, sparkling, scintillating, ebullient. Uh, no dull spots, sir? Well, there may be a lull tonight. Bob Hope's coming over a little later, and this is a little late for him this time of the evening. But before Trowel Nose gets here, let's have some music, huh? I got no mansion, I got no yacht. Still I'm happy with what I got. I got the sun in the morning and the moon at night. I've got no future, I got no plan. Still I think I'm a lucky man. Got the sun in the morning and the moon at night. Sunshine gives me a lovely day. Moonlight gives me the Milky Way. Got no checkbook, I got no bank. Still, I'd like to express my thanks. Got the sun in the morning and the moon at night. And with the sun in the morning and the moon in the evening, I'm all right. Sunshine gives us a lovely day. Moonlight gives us the Milky Way. I got no heirloom, I got no kin. Made no will, but when I cash in, I leave the sun in the morning and the moon at night. Leave the sun in the morning and the moon at night. And with the sun in the morning and the moon in the evening, 
I'm a doing all right. Well, Bang, here it is, our first broadcast on Philco Radio Time. Looks like it's going to be a nice engagement. I don't believe in engagements, Ken. I think I'll marry these people. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Move right in. Well, you should feel right at home with Philco, Bing. I'd venture to say that more people are listening to you right now over Philco radios than any other kind. Oh, say, that's, that's a little alarming. How come? Well, if so many people already own Philco radios, how are we going to sell any? Well, that's, uh, that's just the point, you What's see, Bing. Thing? What's that? You've got the kind of a voice that wears out radios pretty fast. Ooh. Even Philco's. Well, that's good, then. We're back in business again. Sure, oh, sure. Not only with Philco radios, Bing, but you're a natural with Philco radio phonographs, too, because plenty of your records are spinning around on them every day. So whether it's your phonograph records or your radio show, you're right out in front with Philco. Right out in front, huh? Hmm, say, you suppose I could get the Philco people to give the Pittsburgh Pirates a little transfusion? (laughs) Nice to know, though, Ken, that I'm with the leader in the industry. Well, they kind of feel that way about you, too, Bing. Look at the message I just got here from Jimmy Carmine, vice president of Philco. You got it right there? Jimmy says, Dear Bing... Philco is proud to welcome you into the Philco family. On behalf of the Philco distributors and dealers in whose name this program is being broadcast, let me say that it's an honor and a privilege to present to the world's largest radio audience a fellow who's tops in Philco's book. Signed, James H. Carmine. Well, Mr. Carmine's a very nice man to say so. To show him I appreciate it, I'm going to get right to work. Although singing with the charioteers is hardly work, I guess there's plenty of chaps that just love to barber a ballad with them. Tonight we're sailing out on Moonlight Bay. It's a very dreamy thing. We were 
sailing along, sailing along on moonlight bay. On moonlight bay, you could hear the voices singing. They seem to say, that was it. Say you have stolen my heart, stolen my heart. Now don't go away. to have you meet and listen to a young fellow who is creating quite a sensation here in Tinseltown, as well as points east, west, north, and south. This is a fine lad, a fine boy with a grand piano. Really a standout. Kitch Henderson playing Turkey in the Straw.
Hit everything, didn't you? <laughs> that was swing and switch with the mighty skit. Just a very clever manipulating skit. Really fascinating, your rhythm. Well, gee, I'm glad you liked it, Mr. Crosby. Mr. Crosby? Oh, skit, you don't have to call him Mr. Crosby. I don't? You mean he's a regular? <laughs> oh, skit. He's a gem. That boy is a gem. Let me tell you something about the man we're working with, Skitch, and ladies and gentlemen. Those of us who've had the privilege, those of us who've had the privilege of associating with Bing realize that he's a pal when you need a hand. He's a clown when you need a laugh. He's a friend when you need a friend. And he's a singer when you need a sewing machine. We are cooked. It's Bob Hope. <laughs> well, of course. Listen to this. <laughs> yes, sir, here we are, the egg and I. How are you, Dad? <laughs> How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Aunt Fuzzhead. Thank this you. is... Uh, <laughs> this is Bob Philco Hope. Well, <laughs> I'll advertise anybody for money. You know me. <laughs> Welcoming back to the air, old group and sag, and telling you folks to buy your radio from Philco because whether or not you believe in Santa Claus, every week they're going to bring you the bag. <laughs> or, <laughs> now that Hope's here, let's treat him right. We're a little late, folks, so Bob, good night. You, <laughs> Get, 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 get. Just a minute, Bing. I want to congratulate you on your going back to work. Thank you. I think it's wonderful the way you take such an active interest in show business, a man your age, and <laughs> it's a real thrill to see you with this microphone. Thank you. Standing. <laughs> well, if you get your hands out of my pockets, I'll sit down. <laughs> so you're with a new outfit now, huh? Philco. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. For years they advertised no stoop, no squat, no squint. Now they have them every week. <laughs> Say, it's, uh, I want to tell you, it's sincerely happy hip mm. It's about time you changed yeah, sponsors. I guess I was with Kraft quite a long time. Long time. You brought home so much cheese, the mice around there had to wear a girdle. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I do feed my mice. Yours are picketing you. I <laughs> Don't get touching. I'm sincere, and I think it's darn nice of Philco to give you this chance to make a comeback. <laughs> Back. Listen, Pelican Puss, I want... <laughs> Wait a minute, Storkbaiter, look. <laughs> Just a second. Let's not write in things after we get a sign. <laughs> what do they call your head? Operation Eggplant? <laughs> Anyhow, how can you get so hot under a collar you're not wearing? <clears throat> I go again, worrying right, about when you my get up dress. in the morning, you don't have to change, do you? <laughs> Kids wearing a pajama top here tonight. Such a of a deep Anything tree. to save money. Oh, how would you worry about how I dress? When I first met you in front of Paramount, you remember? Mm -hmm. You were barefoot, and you were wearing a pair of Adolf Manju's old golf knickers. <laughs> Those were my knickers. I was playing the lead in Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> I don't know about the Huckleberry, but you borrowed a thin. Uh, it's my greatest performance. I don't remember. <laughs> I, 
I don't remember that incident, but if I borrowed five bucks from you, I'm going to pay it back. When? The next time you catch me barefoot in front of Paramount. <laughs> well, I just saw your last picture, Monster Beaucaire. I may not have long to wait. <laughs> You out of your mind? The way I played the part of the barber in that picture got raised. Well, you figured to be a good barber. Look at the experience you've got shaving expenses. <laughs> Cutting down doors. Silly. <laughs> I just live in that pepsodent tube to please the sponsor. You know that. <laughs> they squirt me out every morning and I'm gone. I'm away. <laughs> get you out, huh? Anyway, you'll find out about expenses. Wait till you see what those Pittsburgh pirates cost you before your kids are old enough to be outfielders. <laughs> Don't you worry. Have no fear. Of course, now you're making money with the hot dogs with your horses and everything. I understand. Don't worry about the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're definitely going places. I hope so. They've been in the cellar so long, the whole team has the bends. <laughs> what a baseball team. They finished so far behind this year, the last eight games were football. <laughs> Listen, don't knock the lads from Pittsburgh, Bob. Didn't you buy into the Cleveland Indians, little beaver? Let's talk about that. Where are those boys? Yes, I flew back to see him play last month. I was a little disappointed. Why? All men. <laughs> but next year, we're going to have a terrific player. He's oh, a yeah? rookie from the three-eye league, and he's sensational. What's so sensational about him? He's got three eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Take more than three eyes to keep you from losing that cheap dollar shirt you're wearing. What are you talking about? The Indians are a real ball club. They're a sound investment. Someday I'm going to sit back and the Indians will take care of me. Yeah, they'll take care of you, all right. Just like they took care of Custer. <laughs> if things get rugged for you, though, I suppose I'll always be good for another sin. Thanks, friend. And if things get rough for you, you can always crawl in the Manju's old knickers with me. You know, Bob, mm -hmm. I know that diamond manners count, but I like what you do. Put it there, pal. Put it there. No matter what my lawyer says, I've always liked you to put it there, pal. Put it there. The day you bought that baseball team excited quite a fuss. They love me so in Cleveland. That what else could they discuss? But now I hear the Indians wanna give you back to us. You call a foul ball fair. Put it, put it there. Oh, by the way, that Pittsburgh team, I hope it makes a go. Put it there, pal. Put me some skin, huh? Drop that back in the bowl. <laughs> I'm having Lanny Lecken teach it. That's me, that's me. No, it's me. That's, that's me. me. Put it there, pal. Put it there. Don't croon into the umpires here and hope to win a game I found a line. <laughs> I'm proud to be a pirate. And the pennant is my aim. The way you make your dough, at least you live up to the name. Your loyalty is so rare. Put it there. My colleague. My crony. My cohort. My friend. My second sack. My third base coach. <laughs> Come to the end. Like meat and potatoes. You better lay off potatoes. Boy, what a man. Don't put it in the paper. Don't put it on the air. I'll finish. Don't put it on the job. Put it there. Thank you very much for dropping in. Thank nothing of it, pal. I'm glad to do it. Well, go on. Well. 
Wait a minute. Aren't you going to give me one of those new radio phonographs? You've already given me the needle. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll put in a word for you with the social people. And by the way, I, I'm running a little low on toothpaste. I'll put in a word for you with Dr. Cowan. Thank you. <laughs> you see... You see, folks, there's nothing mercenary about us. It's just friendship, that's all. <laughs> but we have a charming young lady. A young lady, I know you've heard her on many of my broadcasts and in pictures many times. So long, Bob. Uh, I, uh, I'm still here. I'm not going. I'd oh, like to... Uh, what was that you just mentioned about the, the girl? Well, well never mind. Why don't, why don't you go to that home that you've never left? Come along. I'm sticking around to meet this gal. Listen, Ace Head. Can't you see you're not getting anywhere? What was that? You're dropping a bomb here. You're protesting the dolls. You're wearing your bare midriff a little high this season, aren't you? All right, folks. Come on, out of here. What do we have to do? Call a plumber's assistant to get your mouth out of the mic? Listen, seriously, before I go, I do want to say something. I think it's very nice of you to invite me over here tonight on your premiere. Very sweet. And I, just like the rest of show business, wish you the best of everything on mm-hmm. your new program. Mm-hmm. I know you'll be in there punching as usual. Mm-hmm. And I want you to be a smash because you are one of my favorite sons. Thank you. And I say, bless you. <laughs> yes, we won't, uh, we won't need Lamore in our next picture, huh? Has anybody got a can of DDT? <laughs> now that old Pepsodent Fangs has left, I guess it's safe to bring out the lady. Here's lovely Lena Romai singing Love on a Greyhound Bus from No Leave, No Love, Van Johnson's new opus. Go ahead and sing, Lena, and I'll show the problem child to the door. The other night, Union Station was lit up bright. The crowd was shoving with all its might, but we all settled down for a trip on a Greyhound bus. That's us, heading west on a Greyhound bus. The Howling Tunnel was open wide. We rode along underneath the tide and found ourselves on the Jersey side. What a glorious time for a trip on a Greyhound bus. No fuss. Head and west on a greyhound bus. Stop for hot dogs and soda pop. Ask the driver how long to make another stop. The sun disappeared from view. The stars came out like they always do. Then I cuddled up close to you and we both fell in love on a trip on a greyhound bus. That's us in love on a greyhound bus. Harrisburg, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. On to Wheeling, West Virginia. Then to Columbus, Ohio. And Indianapolis, Indiana. Then we had a slight delay. When the driver mistook Illinois fly away. Texas storm made us hesitate. A bridge washed out and we had to wait. But we'd be happy in any state. Cause we both fell in love. On a trip, on a greyhound bus. That's us in love on a greyhound bus. Thank you, Lee. 
three-leaner, and both are good. Leaving the Greyhound bus in love, we bump into Cynthia, and she's in love. Oh, love, love, love. Well, I guess you can't knock it, though. So if John Scott is ready, I shall uh, attempt... Uh, uh, just a minute, hmm? thing. Don't you think we ought to have a word from the Philco man right now? Oh. oh, well, have you cased the clock up there, Ken? You know, Hope stayed on quite a while tonight. You mean he overstayed his welcome? That condition existed upon his arrival. Well, how about the good Oh, yes. Well, have you got it there? Mm-hmm. Let me see it. Yeah. Hmm. It's very happy stuff, isn't it? Pretty <laughs> ashamed to lose it. What am I saying? Well, I had a hunch this was going to happen, though, so I spoke to the Philco people, and they said if we ran out of time tonight, we could just tear up the commercial. So I'm doing the same forthwith. Cynthia's being in love, Professor Henderson is going to supplement my rendition of this rather nice ballad written by Jack Owens, one of our Philco boys on Don McNeil's Breakfast Club. Find her in a rendezvous, 
starry eyes, breathing sighs. Cynthia, I'm glad your lovely dream came true. For I'm the one who worships you, my Cynthia, in love. Well, that's about it for tonight, but we'll be back... Next week, uh, again, with another musical on team, Avec Monkey Shine. Tune in to so-called radio time next week and hear Bing Crosby, John Scott Trotter, his orchestra and chorus, the charioteers, Lena Romay, Skit Henderson, and Bing's guest, Spike Jones and the City Slickers. This program is produced and transcribed in Hollywood and is directed by Bill Morrow and Myrtle McKenzie. Silver Company presents The Silver Theater. Starring Cary Grant with Phyllis Brooks in Wings in the Dark, directed by Conrad Nagel. Brought to you in behalf of two of the greatest names in silverware, International Sterling, world-famous solid silver, and 1847 Rogers Brothers, America's finest silver plate. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Conrad Nagel welcoming you to the third of a new series of Silver Theater Dramatic Productions. In weeks to come, you'll hear such stars as Rosalind Russell, James Stewart, Helen Hayes, Ginger Rogers, Betty Davis, and Clark Gable, playing in stories by America's foremost authors. Today, we're proud to present Cary Grant as Ken Morgan, with Phyllis Brooks as Sheila Mason, in Wings in the Dark, especially adapted for us by True Boardman. Now our play is about to begin. It's dawn, and on a great landing field rests a silver plane, its nose pointed toward the Atlantic. Pilot Ken Morgan and his mechanic, Joe McDonald, are surrounded by reporters in the shadow of a gleaming wing. She's all set, Ken. Running like a dream. Okay, Max. Pull out the wheel block. Hey, wait a minute, Morgan. Come on. How's about a statement before you go? I wanted to keep this quiet till it was over, but as long as you're here, you may as well know. I am heading for Paris, that's true. But this isn't just a stunt. No, I'm doing it to test my automatic blind flying device. I've been working on it for over five years. Well, how come, Morgan? Well, blind flying isn't new. No, but this kind is. This ship of mine will not only fly by itself in the air, she'll take off and land without my touching the stick. 
I'm not going to fly this plane to Paris. She's going to fly herself. I'm just a passenger. Hey, how's about a picture of that robot business? Yeah, how about that? Oh, 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 okay, back. I'm underway. Ken Morgan, hold it. Hey, Kent, it's Jenkins, the inspector from the Commerce Department. Don't get in that plane, Morgan. You're not going. Not going? No. Your permit for the flight is rescinded. Rescinded? What do you mean rescinded? The department can't sanction a man going out to commit suicide. And that's what it would mean to try to fly to Paris with this this crazy blind flying device of yours. Crazy? Why, I've spent six years on I won't argue with you. Your permit is rescinded. And Morgan, the department also disapproves of cheap publicity stunts. Publicity stunt? This is not a publicity stunt. <laughs> oh, yeah? Just take a look at this newspaper. Newspaper? Morgan, I'm disappointed. Let me get a load of that. Hey, what you want to say? Let's see. Hey, for the love of... Girl stunt flyer is stowaway on experimental ocean. Hey, Morgan, what's the idea of giving that story exclusive to the star? Hey, where is she? Yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Girl stowaway? Well, that's crazy. The whole thing is... Hey, wait, Mac. That rear compartment. Oh, Why, it's Sheila Mason. Get out of that plane. How about it wait for the press? Come out of that plane before I pull you out. Let go of my arm. I'm coming. Hold it. Hold it for a picture. Yeah, yeah, Swell. Oh, oh, clear out of here, you guys. Oh, Your reporters better be detained. All right. Come on, guys. Come on. Ken, I don't understand. What's wrong? Hey, what's the idea? Oh, Nick, I'm glad you're here. Hey, what did you say to those reporters, Morgan? You spoiled everything. Oh, so you're back of this, Williams. Nick. I thought you told me. Now, wait a minute. Give me a chance. You see, Morgan, it's this way. I happen to hear on the QT that you're making this flight flying to Paris. Sheila's great copy, Ken, and at the same time a swell flyer. So I figures the two of you doing it together would be the biggest thing since Lindbergh, see? Yes, I see. You thought I'd take this flight and turn it into one of those cheap stunts you and Sheila Mason go in for. Is that it? Well, you certainly fixed things. I've been refused permission for the flight. Oh, Ken... Well, I suppose you go now. Oh, come on, Sheila. You're wasting time. Okay, Nick. I'm sorry, Ken. Can you imagine that? I figure out a million-dollar proposition the guy just got up for later. Look, Ken. Don't think it's too hard. After all, now we can spend more time on the blind flying device. Then when you're really tested... Yeah, what are we going to use for money? <laughs> By tomorrow, half the country will know that Ken Morgan has some kind of a half-baked blind flying contraption the government thinks worthless. No, Mac, the whole thing is washed up. Six years' work in the ash can. Oh, well, never mind. Get Betsy back in the hangar, will you? I'll be in the office. Look, Ken, after all... I didn't ask you to talk. I said get the plane in the hangar. Come in, Mac. Did you lock up the... Oh. Oh, it's you. Yes, Ken. I, uh, I waited till everyone was gone because... Because I wanted to tell you how sorry I am. No, it's all right. Forget it. Ken, there's a, one thing I want you to understand. This wasn't just a publicity stunt for me. I wanted to make that flight to Paris more than I've ever wanted to do anything in my life. Even being a part of something really worthwhile in aviation. Hmm. That's a little funny coming from you. Hardly goes with the aviation career of Sheila Mason. Stunt flying for carnivals, for the movies, flying under bridges, doing sky riding. Maybe you think I like that kind of flying. Why would you do it if you didn't? Because I'd rather fly that way than not at all. Did you ever think what it means to be a girl in a game where all the good jobs go to men? Oh, well, maybe I never looked at it that way. I'm sorry I got sore a while ago. It's just that... Well, this flight meant an awful lot to me. Sure it did. 
And that's why you still ought to make it. Still make it? When I've been denied permission? So what? Didn't you ever hear of a guy called Corrigan? Hey. Hey, you're right. Sheila, you're right. Who are you calling? The main gate. I've got to stop Mac. You don't have to. I've already told him to keep the ship warm. Oh, woman, you're marvelous. Where's my stuff? Say, where's that coffee? On the stove there. I'll heat it and put, and put it in your thermos. Oh, the heck with coffee. Okay, now, you're not flying the Atlantic without hot coffee. You get your maps and stuff together. Well. Hey, wait a minute. I just thought you are being pretty swell after the way I treated you. Forget it. Fine excuse for a stove you've got there. How do you light it? Oh! <laughs> What's the matter? You burn yourself? Yeah, you better let me. Sometimes you have to light it down here from underneath. Sometimes it's... Ken, no, look out. I had to turn down the full of gas. Ken! Oh, Ken, oh, your oh. face! Oh, Ken, oh. my dear. Your face! No. No, it's not my face so much. It's... It's my eyes. I can't see. I can't see! <laughs> surrounding the eyeball are quite intact. The optic nerve is unaffected. The injury is to the cornea itself. Never mind all that, Doc. Will I ever see again? I can't tell you, son. I believe that no one could. I'm sorry. Thanks, Doc. Well, I guess that tells me. Thanks. Don't ask me to tell you what Ken is, Miss Sheila. I can't say nothing. Ken made me promise. Then forget the promise, Mac. Ken's hurt and afraid. Mostly afraid of pity. Well, we've got to make him see that it's not pity we have for him, but faith. Well, but... Right now is the turning point in Ken Morgan's life. If he cuts himself off from everything now, he's lost. And Mac, we can't let that guy be lost. You're right. Okay, I'll take you to him. He's in a little cabin up in the hills. Well, but first, Mac, tell me, can we get an exact model of Ken's plane made? Betsy? Sure, I suppose so. Then do it. I'll pay for it. I've got a plan, Mac. I've got a plan. It's me, Chief. Come in. Uh, hi, Chief. I thought I told you I wanted to be alone up here. Can't you understand? Mac only came up to bring me, Ken. Sheila. Nice keeping your mouth shut, Mac. It's not Mac's fault, Ken. I made him bring me. Well, you can make him take it right back. And if you brought a carload of sympathy with you, you better take that back, too. If I need your help, I'll ask for it. Swell. Swell, Ken. I, uh, I only hope that goes both ways. What are you talking about? Well, you see, uh, I really came up here to get your help. <laughs> My help? Yes, Ken. You see, I've heard of a new kind of aileron that makes a plane maneuver a lot easier. But uh, before I had one put on my ship, well, I thought maybe you'd tell me what you thought of it. Hmm. A new aileron, huh? Well, I don't know. Look, Ken, I brought a model of my plane along, perfect in every detail, including those new ailerons. And you can tell by... Well, 
Ken, you've got more knowledge of planes than just your fingers than a dozen other flyers have in their whole bodies. Try it, Ken. You, uh, you say you got a plane model there? Yes. Oh, let me see it. Uh, I mean, give it to me. Thanks. Hey, it's a good-sized model. Low wing mount, retractable landing. What do you mean, new kind of balloons? These are... Hey, wait a minute. What do you mean, a model of your plane? This is Betsy. This is my plane. Of course it is, Ken. It is, Betsy. Perfect and exact. And you know why it's here? I'll tell you. So that you can finish your job. You say that blind flying device of yours isn't perfect yet. Well, it's going to be. Yeah, she's got a swell idea, Ken. Look, you know what changes you need to make in that equipment. Make them here on that model. Mac can carry them out on the plane herself down at the shop. Why not? But how can I do... Well, there are instruments to read. Read them by touch. Take the glass off the front and have raised dials so you can see them with your fingers. You can do it, Ken. I know you can. I wonder. I wonder. Ken, the thing you're doing is too important to you and aviation. You can't stop now. Finish the job. I will, Sheila. Ah, but wait. There's one thing we're all forgetting. Money. It would take plenty. I thought of that, too. You're going to earn it. Oh, me? How? By turning author. Who knows more about aerodynamics than Ken Morgan? Nobody. So what's to stop you writing articles for magazines? Hey, Chief, that's a swell idea. Of course it is. Well, how about it, Mr. Morgan? Is it a go? It's a go. Hey, hey, there's just one thing I don't get. What? Well, uh, why should you be doing all this for me? I don't know. Maybe it's just because I really learned to care. To, uh, care? Yeah. About the future of uh, aviation. And so ends the first act of tonight's performance in the Silver Theater. Before the second act starts, a very important member of our Silver Theater is going to carry on where Shakespeare left off when he said, What's in a name? John Carty. Those of you who follow the fashions pretty closely know that the names of certain designers stand for smartness and originality. In fact, the very best in style and workmanship. Well, the same thing holds true in the creation of silver. Certain names represent the best in silver smithing. Take 1847 Rogers Brothers, for example. For more than 90 years, the name 1847 Rogers Brothers has stood for the highest ideals of beauty in design and craftsmanship. And now, with their latest and loveliest pattern, First Love, 1847 Rogers Brothers adds still greater luster to that famous name. For First Love is real news in silver plate. Its flower-like ornament is more deeply etched, more richly raised than ever before, in a perfection of craftsmanship found formerly only in sterling silver. And this finest in silver plate costs far less than you think. A service for six in the glamorous first love pattern, 32 pieces, costs only $32.50. Go to your silverware dealer tomorrow and ask to see sets of first love. Find out about the convenient payment terms while you're there. You'll be surprised to learn how easily you can own the finest silver plate this country has ever seen. 1847 Rogers Brothers. And now the concluding act of Wings in the Dark. Three months have passed during which Ken Morgan has worked feverishly on his automatic flying device. 
and Sheila has become more reckless than ever in her stunt flying. As the curtain rises, Sheila is arriving at Ken's cabin on the hill. outside to see you before Ken does. It's bad news. Bad news? Yes, ma'am. Another story rejected. Ken doesn't know. Oh, sure enough. I got it out of the mailbox and kept it myself, same as usual. Here he is. Oh, Don't worry, Mac. It just happens I got another check today. That county fair job, 200 bucks. Oh, now look, Miss Sheila, you've done enough already. After all... finish that automatic pilot, mustn't he? Parts and instruments cost money. When is going to have it? Come on. And remember, not a word... Ken? Oh, hello, Ken. Hello, Sheila. I was afraid you weren't coming today. I, uh, I was delayed a little on business. How's the invention of the age coming? Oh, you can laugh, but about one more week I'll be able to get in Betsy and fly myself. Yeah, over my dead body. <laughs> oh, Mac, hey, is there any mail down at the box? Was Where? there mail? And what mail, Mr. Morgan? Sheila, they didn't buy another story. Mr. Somebody must have told you. Oh, them. great. You know, I was just wondering where the money for those new instruments was coming from. How much did they pay for this one? Two hundred dollars. Yeah. Two hundred? Boy, we're in the money. Hey, hey, oh, Sheila. Sheila, give me that check, will you? I, I want to hold it in my hands. Sure. Sure, Ken. Here it is. Gosh. Oh, Sheila. I, I don't know how to thank you. Thank me, Ken? Yeah, for giving me the idea of writing that stuff. Funny, I never thought it was much good. <laughs> well, I guess a guy can't tell about what he writes, huh? I, I guess not. Hey, Mac. Yeah, Chief? Beat it. Huh? Oh, oh, okay. Sheila, come over here to the window, will you? I want to show you something. All right, Ken. Look, ever see anything that could touch that out there? The daffodils growing on the hill? The lake with the willow trees along the shore silhouetted against the sky? Ken, you, you no, can't... No, that's not what you think, Sheila. I've had Max standing here just as sundown for the last three nights telling me everything he saw. So I could... Well, see it just once with you. Oh, Ken. Say, I'm an awful dope, you know it. When I had a chance to take a good look at you, I didn't do it. Ken. Come closer, Sheila. Uh, your hair, it's soft and fragrant. Gold color, isn't it? Growing yellow, my dad used to call it. Sheila. Oh, Ken. Ken. Ah, don't give me that, Mac. I'm going to see you. Nick. Hey, Sheila, I had a hunch you'd hide find you here. Hi, Ken. Hey, listen, Sheila, if I got news and sister, I mean news. I'm sorry, boss. I tried to stop him. Oh, that's all right, Mac, old boy. Hey, listen, Sheila, I got the Hexel Oil Company all set to pay you 25,000 smackers for a single non-stop flight, and they furnished the plane. $25,000? Where do I fly? From pool to pole? No, ma'am, you do not. You fly from Moscow to New York. Moscow? Ken, isn't that wonderful? No, it isn't. That's a jump of nearly 6,000 miles. It's too far and too dangerous. Oh, so it's dangerous. What do you think she's been doing around these county fairs? Playing tiddlywinks? Well, Sheila's been stunt flying for a long time. She oh, knows. not like this she has, and she's gone bats the last couple of months. Double outside loops. Spins that she don't come out of till that crater. Hers is nearly on the ground. And all for what? So she'll get maybe 200 on a job instead of 150. Nick. Now look here, Sheila. Use your head. This Moscow flight is a chance to clean up for both of us. Shut up, Nick. Sheila's not going. Hey, what right have you got to interfere in her business? Nick. Besides, she needs the dough. Not anymore, she doesn't. What? I'm giving Sheila a third interest in my blind flying device. Ken. So what? I suppose I should cheer. Hey, Morgan, everybody in aviation knows that idea of yours is crackpot. And even if it wasn't, you can't finish the thing. <laughs> You're broke. Oh, broke, am I? Broke? 
Take a look at this check. Oh, no. Here it is. Look at that. Broke, huh? Well, just be sure that you have Sheila endorse that before you try to cash it. Nick! Have Sheila endorse... Oh, I get it. Now, will you please go now? You too, Mac. I want to talk to Sheila. Come on, you. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I... Ken, before you say anything, please, you've got to understand. I do understand. All of those checks, they were yours. Not one of those stories was sold. That's true, isn't it? Oh, Ken. Answer me! Then suppose it is. All that I cared about was seeing you find yourself again. This is a bigger thing than pride, Ken. Pity. That's what it's been from the first. Everything you've done... Will you shut up? Don't you know the real reason for anything and everything I did? I love you, you crazy, stubborn fool. I love you. Chief, for the lover, what did you say to her? Why? She just came out crying and went off with Nick. And I heard her tell him she was going to make that Moscow flight. adventure. At last report, she was a hundred miles off Halifax, fighting headwinds but making satisfactory progress. We continue now with our regular program. Halifax! You hear that? The worst of it's over. Now you go get some sleep, Ken. You've been sitting there for ten hours and that long drive in from the cabin, you're worn out? Come on. I'll wake you up when there's news. Uh, save your breath, Mac. I'm staying here till she lands. Sheila Mason has been out of communication with any radio station for more than an hour. Also, she's heading toward a heavy fog bank, now moving in off the Atlantic, which is bringing visibility down almost to zero. At last reports, her gas supply was running low and... Why turn it off? Come on, we're going down to the field. But, Ken! You heard me. My fault, she's up there and... Well, I want to be at the field. Come on. Okay. Yeah, here's the field. You better take my arm. Yes, Mac, but get going. Hello, Ken. Hi, Mac. Oh, what a night. Nick! Nick! What's the news? News? You mean you don't know? Sheila's here. Here? Yeah, up there somewhere in the fog. Oh. She can't find her way into the field. Well, how about a gas? Well, it's nearly gone. Ten minutes ago, she said that... Mac, what? The hangar. Take me there. What? Why, you... I'm going up in Betsy and lead Sheila in. Chief, you can't. Because you... I'm blind, eh? Well, who isn't tonight? But I've got something no one else has. A plane that'll fly without eyes. Now, come on, I'm going up for Sheila. No, Ken, she's not warm enough. That motor's... Then I'm ready. Pull out those wheel blocks. Ken, wait a minute. This is crazy. Think what you're doing. Let me go with you. Nobody's going with me this time. You keep on that transmitter and lead us in and don't stop talking. Don't cave us. And remember this, if I do get Sheila on the ground, keep her there, no matter what happens to me, you understand? What do you mean, what happens to you? Never mind, pull out those wheel blocks. Okay. Good luck, Chief. Ken Morgan, Ken Morgan, this is the field dispatcher calling Ken Morgan out on the field. Don't take off. The inspector forbids it. 
calling Morgan. Don't take off. Morgan calling the field. I have taken off. Got to find Sheila Mason. Mac will be there in a minute. Let him take over to guide me in when I'm ready. Now I'm switching off to talk to Sheila. Okay. You're crazy, but go ahead. Good luck, fella. Sheila. Hello. Sheila. Come in. This is Ken calling. This is Ken calling Sheila. Sheila. Can you hear me? Hello. Ken. Ken. Yes, this is Sheila. Where are you? In Betsy. A thousand feet over Roosevelt Field. Ken, you're not alone. No, I'm not alone. I've got a dream with me. The automatic pilot. It's working? I just told you. Like a dream. How much gas have you got? I don't know. Ten minutes? Maybe less. Climb above the fog and look for me. Right. Now. I can see you now. How far away am I? About a quarter mile. Good. Pull up alongside. Right. How are you? I was tired. Dead tired. But not now. Okay. I'm alongside. Swell. Stay there. We'll go down in a minute. But, but first I've got to tell you something. Yes? I love you, Sheila. Oh, Ken. Ken, you can pick the craziest times and places to save me. I love you, too. I always have. But it's goodbye now, Sheila. Goodbye? Listen carefully. I'm taking you down. Follow me. But remember this. Whatever I do, I want you to stay on the ground once you're there. What are you talking about? I'm coming up again, Sheila. Coming up and flying on. Flying on? Where? That doesn't matter. You've got to be free, Sheila. You have a right to be. And believe me, this is the best way out. Ken, you can't. I love you. Goodbye, darling. I'm cutting my radio. I have to switch over and pick up Mac. He's going to drive us in. Follow me down and keep close. Ken, listen to... Hello? Hello, Mac. Mac! Morgan, call him McDonald. Come in. Okay, Ken. Here I am. Bring her down, boy. Mac, keep talking. I'll follow your voice in. But keep talking. Count. Anything. Right, Chief. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, He's done it. Look, he's coming down. And Sheila right behind him. Uh, If the automatic pilot just works. It's got to. One, two, three. He's down. He's okay. Now, only Sheila. Easy, Sheila. Easy. Yeah, she made it. They're both. Something's happened. Ken's going up again. What's Sheila doing? She's going to... Hey, Sheila, look out. Come on. Stand back! Hey, Sheila! Get him out! Sheila! Sheila, you're all right. Why did you crash into him? I had to... I had to stop Ken. He was going up again to fly out of... Oh, Matt, get him out of there. Let me through. Easy, easy. Boss, you're all right. Ken, Ken! Oh, my darling. Why didn't you let me do it, Sheila? Why didn't you? Because you're mine. Because I love you and need you. Can't you see that, Ken? Yes. Yes, I think so, dear. Ken, you're hurt. No, it's my head. 
It's flashing with lights. I... It must have been the cracker. Flashing? There are flashes of light. Camera flashlights. Can you can see them. Yes. Sheila. I can see them. I can see them. In just a moment, Terry Grant and Phyllis Brooks will be back for a curtain speech. But first, here's another friend of yours with a really amazing offer. John Conti. One of the beautiful things so many women long for most frequently is lovely, gleaming silverware. A few minutes ago, we told you about one kind of silverware, 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate. Now we'd like to tell you about the other kind, solid silver by International Sterling. International Sterling Silver is fashioned by master craftsmen. And in all the world, I think you'll find no more radiant example of their skill and artistry than the stunning pattern Enchantress. The richness of that soft, lustrous finish. The simplicity of that mirror-clear center panel with the delicate carving at either side combined to make Enchantress truly breathtaking. Right now at your silverware dealers, International Sterling is making a special offer to introduce you to Enchantress. A solid silver spoon that sells regularly for $3.25, is yours for only $1. And remember, this is sterling silver, solid silver through and through. When you get your spoon tomorrow, be sure to look at complete sets of enchantress, and then learn from your silverware dealer about the budget payment plan whereby you, too, can make a dream come true and own the best in silverware, international sterling silver. And now to Conrad Nagel, who has brought Cary Grant and Phyllis Brooks out before our silver curtain. Well, first, may we congratulate both you, Cary, and Miss Brooks on your splendid performances. <laughs> you know, I've read a few stories and heard a few rumors, Phyllis, that you and Cary are contemplating a little aisle-walking or matrimonial plan. But that, Conrad, is according to the newspapers. Oh, yes, and the uh, rumors. Yes, but if you were contemplating anything like that, now's the time. You're both free as air. You both just but, finished uh, new pictures, so... Uh, but, Conrad, it's still according to the newspapers. And the uh, rumors. Yeah, well, now, wait a minute. My point is, if the rumors were true, you'd have to furnish a house, wouldn't you? That's right, if. And furnishing a house means silverware. You mean like uh, first love? Or uh, enchantress? Yes, so... Uh... Well, I'll tell you, Conrad. We'll check up, and if the newspapers... And the uh, rumors, Phyllis. Yes, and if the rumors have anything to them, we're customers. Right, Grant? Right, Brooks. Right, and good night, Cary Grant. Good night, Phyllis Brooks. Thank you. <laughs> Next week, at the same time, the Silver Theater will star Rosalind Russell and James Stewart in the first episode of a thrilling two-part drama directed by Conrad Nagel with original music scored and conducted by Felix Mills. And in the meantime, if you want solid silver, you want international sterling. If you want silver plate... You want 1847 Rogers Brothers, both proudly created by International Silver Company. Wings in the Dark by Nell Shippen was adapted by permission of Paramount Pictures. Harry Grant will soon be seen in the RKO picture Gunga Din with Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Victor McLachlan, and Joan Fontaine. And this book can be seen in the 20th Century Fox Picture, Great Place and Show. John Conti speaking. This is Columbia Broadcasting System.
Rich Family, based on characters originated by Clifford Goldsmith and starring Ezra Stone as Henry with Jackie Kelk as Homer. Henry! Henry Aldrich! Coming, Mother! of the year, most growing things shed their foliage and settle down to rest for the winter. But an impulsive teenage boy never rests. In the case of Henry Aldrich, the fall air merely increases his normal speed. The scene opens in the Centerville Butcher's Shop on Main Street. It is early afternoon. Uh, now then, Henry, I guess you're next. Well, Mr. Pritchard, <clears throat> I'm here. So I see. Here I am, Mr. Pritchard. I've come to pick up my order. What order? See, where's my wieners? Remember, I phoned and asked if you'd if you'd get me three dollars worth of extra fresh ones. Oh, oh, you did? Sure. Uh, oh, sure. Sure. Gee, is that Charlie Clark going by? Excuse me a minute. Hey, Charlie. Hi, Henry. Uh, Charlie, have the kids got everything straight? Sure, I guess so. You're all to go to McCorkle's Rocks on your bike. Sure. And nobody's to light the fire until I get there. Okay. Okay. Why? Why what? Why do we have to wait till you get there? Because, Charlie, because I'm organizing the whole thing. Oh. Sure. Why? 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 Gee whiz, so nothing will go wrong. Henry, did you say $2 worth or $3 worth? $3, Mr. Pritchard. Okay. Extra fresh. Now listen, Charlie. Charlie. Charlie, where'd you go to? Gee whiz. Mr. Pritchard, are you taking those wieners out of the showcase? Sure. But didn't you order special ones just for me? Why, sure, Henry. I've just been saving them just for you. Right here in the corner of the showcase. Ah. Oh. oh, well, that's good. <sighs> Boy, have I got a headache. Oh, that's too bad. I don't know why I let myself get talked into, into managing these things. Excuse me. Do you mind if I just watch you weigh those wieners? Now, look, Henry, just keep away from these scales. Sure, I'd be glad to. Only I have to look after all the little details, such as, well, such as... Uh, Such as what? Well, Mr. Pritchard, I don't suppose your thumb's actually resting on the scales. It just looks like it does. Uh, Look, I'll throw in two extra wieners if you'll get down off my counter. Sure. Gee, thanks very much. You want me to leave the wieners in this here box? Yes, please. And would you put some heavy brown paper on it and lots of string? All right. I don't want anything to go wrong. Hi, Hen. You got everything straight, Homer? I got your bike from the garage, if that's what you mean. Did they check it from top to bottom? They put air in the tires. What else can you do with a bike? It's got to be in perfect running order, Homer. I told you that. I've got a big responsibility. Listen, Henry, who asked you to be responsible anyway? What do you mean by that? Just because the kids gave you the money for the wieners, that doesn't mean you had to talk everybody into pedaling way out into the country. Well, what's wrong with that? Gee whiz, it's work. But think of the appetite it'll give you. Henry, I don't need anything to give me an appetite. (laughs) Why can't we have the wiener roast in your backyard the way you said in the first place? Homer, when I invited the kids to my backyard, how was I to know my father had just planted grass seed and was going to be unreasonable about it? 
what's the matter with your front lawn? Homer, listen. Why sit on an uncomfortable lawn when you can sit in solid comfort on McCorkle's Rock? Uh, here, Henry. Uh, here's your wieners. Uh, that'll be $3. Sure, I've got it right here. Right? Henry, what's the matter? Oh, boy. Why are you turning all your pockets inside out? Oh, boy. Homer, Homer, have you got any money? What do you mean if I got any money? Where's our $3? I had it, I had it, I had it in this pocket here. That one with the hole in it? It was all folded up. Oh, boy. Mr. Pritchard, what are you doing? Are you blind, Henry? He's unwrapping the wieners. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Pritchard, wait a minute. Homer, I want you to go all the way back to my house on your hands and knees. Now, listen, Henry. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Why are you taking your shoe off? Look! Here's the three dollars in my sock. What? And it's still all folded up. Well, I'll be darned. Mr. Pritchard, would you mind wrapping those wieners up again? All right. Boy, Homer, isn't this my lucky day? I'll say. Let's get going. Where'd you put my bike? Uh, right out there at the curb, behind that truck. You mean the one that's... Homer, the truck's backing up. Hey! Oh, gee, where's my bike? Hey, mister, look out! Hey, cut it out! Hello? Hello, is that you, Charlie? Sure, who's this? It's Henry. Hiya, Charlie, old kid. How's the kid? What kid? Look, Charlie, you know what, I, what I've been doing? I've been thinking. You have, Henry, again? What do you mean by a statement like that? Well, you did some thinking yesterday, Henry, and all I did was get confused. What's confusing about it, Charlie? Instead of sitting around and being bored in my backyard, we're having a swell wiener roast in the open air at McCorkle's Rocks. What's the, so confusing about that? Nothing, I guess. Except you keep changing your mind all the time. No, I don't. Okay. We're all going out to McCorkle's Rocks on our bikes. That's final. Well, look, Charlie, and that's what I've been thinking about. We're just letting ourselves in for a lot of trouble going on bikes. We are? Why? Well, for one thing, they're tearing up a piece of the road out there. And boy, there are ruts all over the place. Yeah? Sure, and detours. And, uh, and, uh, it's a regular booby trap, Charlie. Gee whiz. So look, why don't we get all the kids to get their father's cars and drive out there in solid comfort? Through all those ruts? Charlie, look, you go through a rut on a bike and you're up a tree. What? But you go through a rut in a car and where are you? Where? Gee whiz, in a rut. That's the beautiful part, Charlie. You stay there. That's true. So, do you think you can swing it from bikes to cars? I'm all confused again, Hen, but I'll try. I'll phone a couple of the fellas and go to work on my father and call you back. Okay, you do that. Have you got your father's car? It's practically in the bag. So long. Father! Father, are you upstairs? I'm in my room, Henry. You are? Can I help you with anything? As a matter of fact, I'm hunting for something. Oh, I'll help you hunt, Father. I'll start on this drawer here. What are we looking for? Never mind, Henry. What is it you want? Why, now that you mention it, Father, we've always been pretty good pals, haven't we? 
I think so, son. Sure. That's what I'm always telling the kids. Boy, I say, is my father a reasonable sort of guy? He has his faults, sure, but don't we all? The main thing is, he's generous. Who is? You are, father. And boy, I think, I think if a person is generous, then the rest can just go out the window. Would you like a wiener, father? You're throwing them out the window? No, no, gee whiz, I'm just not letting them out of my sight. Father... I'll get right to the point. I'm glad to hear it. I'll ask you straight from the shoulder. Uh, you know your car? Pretty well. I've been on intimate terms with it for ten years. <laughs> well, sure, that's my point. What is? Father, you remember the other night you said you didn't feel you should get a new car until this one was worn out? Yes, I believe I said that. Well, don't you agree that the only way to wear it out is to use it? I do use it. Sure, Father, but I don't. Henry, I don't want it worn out that quickly. Well, Father, Father, if you just lend it to me tonight, I give you my word, you'll never know it had been in a rut. What's that? Oh, I mean, well, it's a matter of life and death, Father, and all the other kids are getting cars, I think. Henry, if you want to borrow my car this evening, why don't you come right out and ask for it? You mean I can have it? Well, if you can show me a good reason why you need it. Oh, I can, Father. I can dig up as many reasons as you want. Henry! Yes, Mother? You want it on the phone. Oh, boy, that'll be Charlie. I'll be right back, Father, with my reasons. Thanks, Mother. Henry, slow down. My goodness, Sam, what's the matter with Henry? Well, that's pretty involved subject, Alice. Right now, I'm trying to find my maroon tie. What maroon tie, Sam? My favorite, Alice. The one I wear all the time. I've been hunting high and low for it all week. Now, dear, you don't want that tie. It was worn practically to shreds. Alice, why do you say that? Dear, let's talk about it some other time. I have to go down and start dinner. Alice, what happened to my maroon tie? Very well, Sam. To be perfectly frank, Henry borrowed it. What? Now, dear, before you lose your temper, try to think of all the nice things he does. Henry! Sam, there's no use asking him for it. Why not? Well... As I said, it was pretty well worn, and... and Well, you see, Henry was patting this horse. What? And you know those little white squares on the tie? Sam, you have to admit, they do look like lumps of sugar. <laughs> Alice, do you mean some strange horse ate my tie? Oh, no, Sam. No? It was Gus's horse, Sheila. You know Sheila did. <laughs> Alice, that's the third thing Henry has borrowed and not returned this week. Henry isn't the only one, dear. There's that book you borrowed over a year ago called History of the Roman Empire. Uh, Alice, that's different. I, I don't remember who I borrowed it from. Have you made much of an effort to find out? Alice, I never heard of anyone called Aunt Tilly. And that's the only name in the book. Henry, where are you? And now, dear, try not to get angry. I'm just going to teach Henry a lesson. You have, Charlie. You have your father all sewn up. Well, so have I. Henry, please put down that receiver. Sure, Father. So long, Charlie. And keep working on the rest of the kids. Henry, about my car... Sure, Father. Here are my reasons. You can forget the whole thing. Forget it? Father, you mean... You mean I can't have it? I do. But you haven't heard my reasons. Just sit down, son. I'll tell you a few of my reasons. Hello? Hi, Homer, old-timer. How are tricks? Is that you, Hen? Sure. I was just going to phone you. My father finally forked over his car. We're all set. We are? Well... Look, Homer, I've been thinking, and did I come up with a swell idea? Yeah. Sure, it's so good I don't know why I didn't think of it before. Look, 
Why don't we all chip in and take a couple of taxis out to McCorkle's Rocks? A taxi? Sure, and ride out in solid comfort. Well, Henry, you take a taxi and I'll go in my father's car. But wouldn't it be more fun if we all went together? And, and then besides, if we all chip in, it'll be cheaper. What do you mean cheaper? It won't cost me a cent to go in my car. But think of the repairs. What repairs? Remember, that road is full of ruts. Why, some of them are this deep. They are? As deep as that? Sure. Sure, you'd stand a very good chance of wrecking your car out there. But, but a taxi's different. They're made to be wrecked. Well, how much would a taxi cost? I got it all figured out. Only $2 each. Henry, that's $2 more than I've got. All you got to do is work on your father. You've got a golden tongue, Homer. A what? A golden tongue. A golden tongue. I have. And I'll phone the other kids and get the wheels rolling. But, Father, Henry Aldridge can get $2. Now, wait, Charlie. Mother says it's all right with her and it's all right with Mr. Aldridge. So why isn't it all right with you? What do you want the $2 for? I told you you could have my car, didn't I? Yeah, but suddenly we've all decided to go out to McCorkle's Rocks by taxi. By taxi? Why? Because, because of the ruts. And it's bad enough with a bicycle and with a car. Gee, only a taxi doesn't cost as much to fix like a car is when it's wrecked. What's that? I think that's my reason. I'm all confused. Now, just a minute. Who's running this Wiener Rose? Henry Aldridge. Very well. Before my headache gets any worse, I'm going to phone the Aldridges and find out what's going on. I still don't think you'll understand it any more than I do. Number, please. Elm 303. Elm 303. Charlie, run along. Can I listen, Father? I'd like to find out what's happening. I'll tell you what's happening. Now, run along. Yes, Father. Hello. Uh, hello, Mr. Aldridge. This is Mr. Clark. Oh, Sam, I'd just like to know if you're loaning Henry your car this evening or if you're giving him money or what. Well, I'm certainly not lending him my car. I'm being very firm about that. Boy, his age isn't capable of taking care of other people's belongings. I see. Recently, Henry's developed a bad habit of borrowing things and not returning them, so I've decided to clamp down. Good for you, Sam. Borrowing things is one of the worst faults a boy can have. Exactly. Some people never get over it, even when they grow up. I agree with you 100%. For example, Sam, somebody, I can't remember who it was, borrowed a favorite book of mine over a year ago. History of the Roman Empire, it was. Oh, uh, Yes, sir. And I've never seen the book again. Uh, Mr. Clark, that's, uh, that's rather a coincidence. If you ask me, Sam, it's a perfect example of bad upbringing. I, I'm sure your book will show up one of these days, Mr. Clark. And now, excuse me, I think I hear my wife calling me. Goodbye. Goodbye, Sam. Walter. Uh, did I hear you talking about that history of the Roman Empire? You did? Well, I certainly wish you'd hurry and find it. And Tilly keeps saying you borrowed it from her and never returned it. Now, Marion, it'll show up one of these days. Where is Charlie? Here I am, Father. Can I have the two dollars? You may not. You mean I have to go in your car? And you can't have the car either. A boy your age isn't capable of taking care of other people's belongings. But, Father... And I don't want any argument, Charlie. From now on, I'm clamping down around But here. how am I going to get to the wiener roast tonight? That's for Henry Aldrich to figure out. <laughs> Getting back to the troubles of Henry Aldrich. Henry has undertaken the management of a wiener roast at McCorkle's Rocks. And when a truck ran over his bicycle, he swung the boys around to going in cars. Now Henry can't get a car. And his attempts to raise money for taxis 
seem to have backfired. The scene opens in the Aldrich living room. It is six o'clock the same night. Homer, what do you mean by that? Lock the doors, Henry. Lock the doors. Why? Gee whiz. The kids are all on their way over here to your house, and boy, are they mad. What are they coming over here for? They're all going to punch you in the nose and take their wieners over to Willie's backyard and eat them. But I, I thought everybody was getting money for taxis. Oh, well, they were. Only everybody got confused, and our fathers started phoning each other, and now they've all decided to clamp down. But why? Well, as near as I can figure out... It's because your father says boys our age shouldn't borrow anything. Oh, boy. Well, frankly, Homer, I'm kind of tired. I don't mind a bit having the whole thing over at Willie's. The trouble is, Hen. What? You're not invited. I'm not invited? After all I've done? That's why you're not invited. (laughs) Oh, gee. Gee, that's the thanks you get. Well, now, wait a minute. Homer, listen, I've just got an idea. Henry, take my advice and forget it. Look, when the kids get here, you stall them, see? Don't let them get near the wieners. And in exactly half an hour, they're going to get the biggest surprise of their life. Is there any way we could hurry with this? No, you can't hurry a sensitive horse like Sheila, Henry. Not when it comes to hitching her to a hay wagon. I know, Gus, but it's 6.15. Go on, Sheila, back up. Henry, it won't get you any place pushing her. You'd have to talk to her. Yeah? Sheila, listen, I'm talking to you. It's 6.15, and the kids won't wait much longer. Back we go, Sheila, baby. Back up to the nice wagon. I sure appreciate your doing this for me, Gus. Boy, wait till the kids hear they're having a hayride out to McCorkle's Rocks. But I'm not the one doing you a favor, Henry. It's Sheila. It is? Yeah. You don't know what this is costing her. She's allergic to hay, you know. But is that right? Yeah. Poor baby, she's got hay fever. There to go, Sheila. Now let Gus put your harness on. Well, could I be taking care of this? Yeah. That's the bit, Henry. It goes in her mouth. Oh, yeah, sure. Here, Sheila. Open your mouth. We'll have to drive her real careful, Henry. Uh, she's a regular bundle of nerves tonight. She is? Yeah. Well, if she seems unhappy, I brought something along to give her. <laughs> something she loves. What is it? The other half of my father's maroon tie. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't bolt your supper like that. I'm not bolting. I'm just in a hurry. Did you wrap up the book? Yes, dear. And I padded it with brown paper. It's on the hall table. But I still wish you'd face Mr. Clark like a man instead of sneaking over there. Just as long as he gets his book back, he doesn't care how it gets there. I still don't approve of you just tossing the Roman Empire up on his front porch. (laughs) What's that? Don't worry, folks. It's only me. Homer, what are you doing at that window? I'm not coming in, Mr. Aldrich. I'm just scouting. Where's Henry? Have you heard from him? No, Homer, but he said he'd be back here by 6.30. Homer, are all the boys still on the front porch? Yes, sir. Why don't you have them wait inside? In the hall with Henry's box of wieners right there on the table. Hey, Homer, where are you? Yeah, What do you mean? Sam, isn't it grand? What is? The way Henry has managed this entire affair with all the boys leaning on him. 
Why, with his capabilities, he might... He might even... Yes? Sam, I wouldn't say this to anybody else, but just think... President Aldrich. <laughs> That's going just a little far, Alice. I don't know if he got the proper guidance and help. For instance, Sam, I do think you should have let him have your car tonight. Nonsense, Alice. If I'd let Henry my car, he wouldn't have had the satisfaction of working this thing out for himself. Oh, I know, When he but... left here, he said he had a solution to the whole transportation problem. Well, that's true. When he works it out, the boys will respect him for it, and so will I. Well, I suppose so, dear. It's just that I understand boys better than you do. Now, where's that history of the Roman Empire? I'd better get over to the Clarks. Good heavens, what's all that racket? Well, Sam, open the door and see. What the... You speak to them, Alice. Where's my book? Oh, there. Sam, that's not your book. That's Henry's box of wieners. Oh, then this is the book. Hey, now look, boys. Let go of me. Don't tell them. They'll lynch him. Sam, come back here. You understand, boys. Boys. Boys, listen to me. to you. Oh, boy, everything. All the boys are right here in the living room waiting for you. They are? Oh, gee whiz. I explained to them that you were working out a way to get them all out to McCorkle's Rocks. And, dear, they were so excited they forgave you for everything. Mother, that's the whole trouble. They were going to have a hayride, only now they're not. Why not? Well, I was driving Sheila down Walnut Street, and she was as peaceful as can be when, bang, what happened? All of a sudden, a fellow with his coat collar turned up and his hat down over his eyes dashed right in front of Sheila and threw something. Yeah. And the first thing I knew, there was hay all over the place. I was in the gutter and Sheila was headed for home. Oh, my goodness. And look, Mother, would you mind packing a suitcase and sending it over to Aunt Harriet's? Henry, why on earth should well, you... I'm just going to stay here a couple of weeks till the air clears. Now, dear, you can't do that. Alice! Henry, your father just came in. I'll talk to him and call you back. Okay. Sam, what on earth is that all over your coat? Hey. Hey? Hey, Alice. I just thrown the book up on the Clark's front porch when out of a clear sky I was nearly killed by a horse. <laughs> you mean it was you? What? Sam Aldrich, do you realize what you've done? What I've done? When you ran in front of that hay wagon, you upset Henry's whole apple cart. Alice, will you please explain what you're talking about? Just this, Sam. If you don't do something to help Henry, he'll never be able to face his friends again. Alice, I'm exhausted. Here you are, dear. I brought your slippers down for you. Thank you. But I'm too tired to lean over and put them on. Now, Sam, it wasn't really as bad as that. Alice, that's a long drive out to McCorkle's Rocks. Well, I do think you could have taken the boys out there without making two trips. There is a law, Alice, that says you can't take 14 boys in one car. Well, they aren't very big boys. Now, Alice. Well, the main thing is that Henry and his wieners and his friends are all out at McCorkle's Rocks. 
I'm sorry you're tired, dear, but I'm glad that Henry's happy. Seems to me that it should have been a simple thing for Henry to arrange a wiener roast without running into all that trouble. He did his best, Sam. He may have made a few little mistakes. That's just it. He should learn not to make mistakes. My one little mistake can alter the whole course of the world. Yes, dear. Oh, did I tell you Mrs. Clark phoned while you were out? Mrs. Clark? She didn't... They didn't see me, did they? Oh, no. They wanted us to come over and play bridge this evening. What's that? After all I've been through? I knew you'd be tired, dear, so I said no. Good. I invited them over here instead. (laughs) Over here? Alice, why did you do that? The last thing in the world I feel like doing is playing bridge with the Clarks. Oh, you'd better answer the phone, Sam. I'll have to start on the refreshment. Uh, but, 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 Alice, that's a fine thing. Hello? Hello there, Mr. Aldrich. This is Walter Clark. Well, hello, Walter. I hear we're playing bridge tonight. Yes. Well, I, I'm delighted. Uh, look, Sam, would you mind if we brought along the refreshment? Oh, now, that won't be necessary. But we'd really like to. You see, earlier this evening, some stranger tossed a package up on our front veranda. What's that? And when we opened it, it turned out to be a box of wieners. <laughs> wieners? You mean... Oh, no. Listen again next week, same time, same station, for another sparkling half hour with your favorite youngster, his family, and his pals. The Aldrich Family, starring Ezra Stone, is written by Clifford Goldsmith. <laughs>